This episode was recorded on Bunurong, Bunurong country. I pay my respect to elders past and present. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have been stewards of the land, sea and sky for over 60,000 years. I would like to thank them for their continued contribution to science, to conservation and to education. Welcome to Weekend Birder. I'm your fellow bird nerd, Kirsty Costa, and I'm thrilled to introduce to you another bird nerd, Grant Williams. Grant is the host of a podcast called The Bird Emergency, which is one of my favourite conservation podcasts. He shares the amazing work that people are doing to protect the rare and endangered birds of the world. Here is how Grant discovered his love of birds. I grew up in what was the country when I was a kid. It's now, it's basically a suburb of Frankston, but it was in the on the western port side of the Mornington Peninsula. And looking out my bedroom window as a kid, I would see lots of birds and I would watch them. And that was kind of the start, but my family was a political and conservation kind of family. I had one uncle working for the Gould League of Bird Lovers and developing sort of the educational materials there. I had one uncle who was a director of the summer's camp and there one of the kids I went to school with, his dad ran the collection of all the stuffed birds and all the flotsam and jetsam that they collected off the beach. So I used to be able to go in and have a look at all of, all of that stuff. And another one of my uncles was a real greenie. He was involved in setting up one of the protection organisations and planning advisory bodies for Western Port, and he was also a former president of the ACF. So protecting the environment, birds, animals, possums, all that, everything was sort of part of my childhood growing up. And I was lucky that I lived in a place where I could go for a walk after school down on the beach and I could see oyster catchers and I could see that there were more than one type of seagull I could I could see hawks, I could see lots of birds. But I also sort of, that turned me into a bit of a a bird Nazi. When I grew up, I hated sparrows, I hated starlings, I hated miners because I knew what they were pushing out. So I, I had an understanding of invasive species right back then. But I just loved watching what birds do and I guess recognizing that they all had different places within the environment that we lived in where they, where they would hang out. So I think, I think why did I get interested in it? Because birds are cool. <laughs> Grant had another significant influence on his childhood, two family-owned properties located near Hillsville in Victoria. So we had this sort of hub where we would go for, you know, school holidays and, and whatnot, where a bunch of us kids, and there were a fair few of us, some were into motorbike riding, a couple got into target shooting, and the girls were horse riding with the neighbours and stuff like that. And me and me would get my, get my backpack, a tent, a bird book, and my binoculars and just head out into the state forest, and I'd disappear for four or five days. So I guess it was really, really immersive. But that whole time of appreciating birds, I was also hearing all the conservation messages and the and the threats, you know. And we're going back to the 70s. This was being pumped into my head. So, yeah, I just love being out in the Australian bush too. It's a pretty amazing. I mark one of the milestones of my life of a period when I was 
getting acquainted again with rural Australia. And in that time, I was in a place called Jambin. And as I was leaving a property and I was opening the gate about to drive through, I looked up to a dead tree near the gate and there was a grey falcon there. One of the greatest experiences of, of my life. Just checking me out, just watching me drive through shut the gate, was in the days before you could take photos with your mobile phone or anything like that. And I just sat there and I watched it until it nicked off about 10 minutes later. And that's a road mark or a a turn, not a turning point so much, but that's one of the significant events in my life. In later years, Grant would go on to study and work in both horticulture and accounting. Grant's intense interest in birds never left him though. And this drove him to create a podcast called The Bird Emergency. I'd really lost touch with birds closely. I was seeing them when I drove places and everywhere. And I had sort of had this realisation that I didn't need a car really for most of the trips that I could do. I could do all this stuff without being distant from the environment. And when I was looking around, I was noticing that places where those pesky invasive birds, sparrows and whatnot, they were actually becoming less common. Instead of seeing flocks of 40 of them, I was seeing groups of 12, 10, and I wasn't seeing as many of the common native birds around. And I I just thought, that's weird. And it didn't take long to, to find out with an internet search that birds are disappearing everywhere from all habitats, from cities, urban environments. And then when I looked at how many birds had moved from endangered to the critical list of birds that I, I had known about, I just thought it was a bloody emergency, right? I mean, probably a little bit before everyone jumped on the whole climate emergency thing. And biodiversity crisis is really something that hit me. And I thought, well, I know about the birds. I'm just going to go and talk to people who can tell me what they are doing and the projects that they are getting involved in. And that's one of the joys of being aware is that you get to connect with other people who are aware and then you get to hear the stories and, of course, we all love birds. We're all bird nerds, so just a really good way to raise awareness but also it's hard work being a podcaster in that it's not financially rewarding or anything like that. You have to love doing it. I just get to connect with people who love birds too. Grant uses his knowledge of horticulture to also develop his knowledge of birds and their habitats. He regularly shares his tips about bird-friendly gardens and plants on his podcast. Birds have relationships with plants. A really good one is if you're in, you know, southeast Tasmania or on some of those islands like Bruni Island. If you're in a stand of managum, you're highly likely to be able to see a 40-spotted partilote because there's a really close association between that tree and that bird because that bird eats the lerps and it actually farms and defends infestations of of lerp. How I use it now is I guess I'm always just promoting what people can do to make a difference to their patch to assist birds and wildlife. And you don't want to be too doctrinaire about it. I mean, you want people to, if they can, promote the planting of Indigenous plants that give the birds that were original inhabitants here a chance to stay established or to perhaps re-establish. You've also got to understand that people have got design 
thought when it comes to their own places, their own gardens, their own houses, and there's also a suburban aesthetic as well that you've got to try and fit in with your neighbourhood. So what I try and do now is help people make choices of what to buy and what to use, what will survive, what's long living, and what function those plants play for the animals and for the birds not just what their design function is, whether they're colourful, whether they flower in spring, whether they smell nice, all, all that kind of stuff. Often you'll pick up a book and it'll say, recommend a whole lot of plants, but they're no longer grown. They're not in the trade anymore. And having come out of the trade, both in the retail and wholesale side, There's no point recommending plants that people can't find because they're going to go to their nursery and the person who serves them is there to sell something. And if they don't have what the person asks for, they're just going to sell them what they have. What I try and do is let people know what the good plants that are available and where are they going to go? Let's be honest. They're going to Bunnings, right? And Bunnings has got a very small list of plants that it sells. So you can send them there or you can give them an alternative, an Indigenous nursery or a native nursery, a specialist nursery, and say, take a drive up to the hills or there's a really good one in Dural that does mail order or whatever. So I try and give people resources and recommendations that are, that are useful and that aren't going to be invasive pest species later on. After many birdwatching experiences and talking to bird emergency guests, Grant has changed the way that he sees non-native and invasive species of birds. An invasive species is an introduced plant or animal that becomes overpopulated and ends up harming its new environment. Sometimes you can be, like I certainly was as a kid, I was on team native, right? Native birds are good, other birds are bad, get rid of them. But now we've got native birds that are becoming significant problems in places where they never used to be. When I was a kid, you did not see flocks of rainbow lorikeets all over the suburbs of Melbourne. They just just wasn't a thing. Now they're everywhere. Now, rainbow lorikeets need hollows. So do red rump parrots. So do musk lorikeets. So do rosellas, right? So do owlet nightjars. All these other birds are being displaced because a bird that we know and love, that's beautiful and is photographed because of its amazing beauty, is a bully boy, is an invasive species. Noisy minor, same kind of situation. You could probably extend the argument that some of the wattle birds are becoming invasive species and displacing other honey eaters. And the reason for that, I'm not quite so sure other than the fact that they are pugnacious and that they are more confident. But it's a long time since I've seen a white-naped honey eater in the places that I hang out in Melbourne. But I know when I was a kid, they were they were around. I don't know if they're not around anymore, but they're certainly not as visible as they were to me. And we haven't even started on starlings and Indian miners and uh, sparrows and pigeons. I, I can remember being about 14 and driving through, uh, driving from eastern Victoria back into Melbourne, and I actually saw some long-billed corellas in Pakenham. That was the first time I had ever seen them east of perhaps Geelong. Right? Back when I was a kid, they were only found in sort of the dry country. They were in, very definitely an inland bird, and they were limited. And now they're everywhere around here. So. They've been displaced from where they used to live, but now they're competing with the bigger birds for hollows. It's complex. Complex is a great word to explain bird conservation. You can listen to previous episodes of this podcast to hear about how different people are working together to wade through this complexity and ensure that birds are thriving in the wild. It is the simple pleasure of noticing birds, especially in his local area, that has Grant hooked on bird watching. I love watching what birds do. 
you know, a, a lot of people are quite competitive about bird watching and getting the numbers, ticking off the lists and all that kind of stuff. I'm still interested in that. I like to go to a habitat. You know, I like to go to the Mallee or go to an eastern Victorian forest and try and see as many birds as I can that I know should be there. So I'm I'm into that, but I get far more satisfaction from just plonking myself somewhere and watching what a bird or a bunch of birds do, what they do together. I love watching blackbirds. The male blackbirds at the moment are all having their competitions over territory and bashing each other up. And um, I love the magpie, the little magpie that is learning how to sing. I love finding a bird when it's calling and you can't see it. Now, I don't like going chasing round to disturb it and find it, but I like to sit somewhere and hope that it will come to me. And that often happens. I just love watching uh, what birds do. I guess if lizards did more stuff more quickly, if they were more outgoing, I might like, I might love watching lizards too. But no, birds give us something that we can kind of relate to what they're doing. You can anthropomorphize about what they're doing in a way that we can't do with insects. And and because I'm a plant nerd as well, I love watching what they do in regard to the plants around them, how they use plants, how plants use them, you know, all those relationships between them. So that's why I like it. And it's really relaxing too, you know. Birds are, what do people say, dogs are the best people? Well, birds are the best animals. If dogs are the best people, birds are the best animals, sure. As well as developing his knowledge and skills through his own experience, Grant has also talked to many different scientists and bird nerds. Here are some of his favourite tools. Now, I currently have the Field Guide to Australian Birds, which was Ralph Slater and Pat Slater. And I like that because it's small and it's lightweight, easy to take around. The Australian Bird Guide is sort of the the standard for Australia, but they've just put a concise edition out, which is easier to lug around, not quite so heavy. I have on my phone the Morecambe app for Australian Birds, Field Guide to Australian Birds, and it's really handy because it's got the calls in it. So if you hear something you're not familiar with, but you, because of your knowledge of birds, of where it might be coming from, it's in a thicket, well, it's, if it's in a thicket, it's not going to be a raptor, right? So, uh, oh, well, it could be a goshawk, could be a tall thicket. So that I really like, but... Otherwise, I reckon your best tool as a bird watcher is to be open to be surprised. You're more likely now to see birds in places where they might not be marked down on the distribution map because birds are being displaced everywhere. Weather patterns are changing, feeding opportunities are, are changing, the threats are increasing in all the other places. So adaptable birds are moving around. It's not really a tool, but I think your attitude has to be that you have to be prepared to be surprised. Don't be doctrinaire about stuff. And I guess the other thing, apart from having binoculars or a camera, if you prefer, is take an attitude with you where you are not really not disturbing birds from going about their normal behaviour. It's very stressful. Just imagine, and, and, and I say this in relation to callback and things like that, if you're playing sounds of a bird, hoping to lure them in, what you're doing is playing a territorial call or something like that, or a distress call or a contact call. And just imagine if someone comes to your house and bashes on your front door incessantly for three or four hours because they want your attention. That's what you're doing. Don't do that, please. Just be nice. 
But also when you're out there and you're meeting other bird nerds, listen from them and enjoy them because it's really wonderful to share the stories and the knowledge. And I've always got a sort of purpose in all of this, which is about hanging on to what we've got and hopefully growing it and assisting people in their understanding of birds and their habitats and the environment and the fragility of them, that some of them are barely hanging on, just hanging on by a thread. That's important because I always say everything that we, every choice we make is political. And if you can change one person's mind or alter one person in the way they behave and the actions that they'll take to help us preserve what we've got one person at a time, that's significant. Just get out there, enjoy it and do your bit. I would say it's really, really good if you listen to The Bird Emergency because you're going to hear a whole lot of really smart people talking about what they do to assist. You know, we've talked to people who are involved in photography and product development that assists in preserving birds and then developing educational programs in the Philippines and and ranger programs where prisoners are, are converted into conservation activists and protectors of of birds. So there are many, many ways that people can make a difference. Make a difference, but have fun and just enjoy birds because remember, every bird is the best bird. Grant has been hosting the Bird Emergency for a few years now, and there are lots of great episodes for you to catch up on. You also might find some weekend birder guests hanging out there. One of my favourite episodes was a discussion about bird names and whether they are still appropriate in today's world, a fascinating and very important topic. I'd also like to give a personal thanks to Grant for his support of Weekend Birder. Together, we are stronger. Links to the bird emergency and the books that Grant mentioned can be found on the show notes or on our website. So you could pop over there now and enjoy listening to another podcast. 